Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment, and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Happy 1st of June. Summer is here. Summer arrives today. In fact, I'll tell you later on the exact time which summer will declare itself meteorologically. There's an app for that. Of course there's an app for that. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. My last one uh, for a couple of days. Uh, Wednesday, 1st of June. Start of official summer. What I would like to know, because up to this morning, uh, we'd no idea whether anybody in any of the Cork hospitals had gotten their COVID bonus payment yet. Up to yesterday, no one had contacted us to say they had it. No one had contacted us to say they knew anybody who had it. They were promised it in April. And there was a list put up last night on social media that only two hospitals in the country have paid it out so far. This is the COVID €1,000 payment for healthcare workers. Forgive the voice again. We're getting there slowly, but surely we're getting there. So I we asked last week if we could have a conversation about this with the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, because he's the man who's spending the money. The Department of Health is distributing the money. That's fine. That's its baby. But effectively, Michael McGrath, it's it's your money or rather our money they're spending. So why has no one got their money yet? Good morning, Minister. Uh, good morning, PJ. I hope you're okay. Your your voice is a little <coughs> strange. Croaky. I'll be fine. Thank you. Uh, good stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. Look, this this process is taking too long. Is the first thing that I would say. I readily accept that the government decision that was made uh, to provide the one thousand euro payment uh, was made on the nineteenth of January, and then it was referred to the Department of Health then to. Um, 
put the operational kind of work out of that in place. Now, they did for quite a period of time engage in discussions with the trade unions around uh, the detail, the finer details of who exactly uh, would be eligible, you know, the questions around people who were working part-time, people who were working for only part of the the relevant period during COVID. Um, But that process concluded uh, a number of weeks ago and um, some payments have commenced around the country. The latest update I have from the HSC is that of those directly employed by them, just under 13,000 healthcare staff had received a payment as of last Friday, and that figure excludes um, some organisations that are called Section 38 organisations. They're part of the wider public sector family, and I believe Bowman Hospital, for example, is one of them, uh, and they have paid it. So 13,000 directly employed HSE staff and then others who are under Section 38. Um, I was in touch with Paul Reid this morning just to get an update from him. And his uh, his uh, view is that this month we'll see uh, the majority of directly employed HSE staff uh, receive the payment. Uh, there will be others that will take longer, uh, those that are not employed in the public sector. As you know, a decision was made um, that private nursing home staff, for example, uh, hospice staff uh, and uh, some healthcare assistants, people providing home care services, employed privately but doing it on behalf of the HSE, uh, are also getting the payment and uh, different arrangements have to be put in place because the state is not the employer. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that's just an, an overview, PJ, of where we're at. I accept it. It has taken too long. This isn't an issue of funding. The funding is available. Uh, Brad, the the state may not be the employer, Minister. I accept that. The state may not be the employer yeah. for many people, but it is the state who will pay the money over into the employer's bank account. Correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the the relevant circulars have issued to the relevant state employers. uh, And as I said, the the processing of the payments has commenced, um, not as quickly as we would like, but it has commenced. And I think for the vast majority of directly employed um, HSE staff, so nurses and doctors and healthcare assistants and so on, it will be paid uh, this month, I expect, for those that haven't got it yet. For the remainder, I think it will take a little longer because the HSE has to put uh, arrangements in place uh, through the Department of Health with the private uh, employers, such as the nursing homes in, in Cork, such as Marymount uh, and others. But, but, but why was all this not thought about when the scheme was being devised? There's a lot of advisors around government Michael McGrath, why did no one raise this and said it's you're not going to be able to do this all in one day? This is going to take a long, long time. The impression was given to everyone who was entitled to it that they'd get it, but they're still waiting. People have been trying to pay off holidays, pay utility bills, yeah. which are ever rising. They were guaranteed. They were banking on this money, and it hasn't come. Yeah, and I, I, I do genuinely regret how long it has taken. I mean, we made the government decision in, in January, uh, and then, to be fair to the Department of Health, they did have a lot of detailed uh, engagement and negotiations with the unions who legitimately represent their members and were seeking to you know, expand the nature and scope of the scheme as far as they possibly could. And as I say, that's perfectly understandable um, because not everyone 
who perhaps deserves the, deserves this payment is going to get it. Um, the difficulty for us really was in in drawing the line somewhere. Uh, like it is going to cost well over 100 million euro uh, for uh, well over 100,000 uh, staff. Uh, we expect at this point, uh, but there are others who will legitimately make the case, uh, such as prison officers, for example, Gardaí, um, uh, others who undoubtedly had to go to work and have contact yeah. with the public. People who ran in when the rest of us were running out. Yeah. Yeah, and and look, I, I that that is a reality. But I suppose the difficulty when you're in government is you've got to draw the line somewhere. It's a tax repayment. Uh, yeah. It really it really is only a token of recognition. Sure, that's all it is. You couldn't pay people for the work they did. But an, another point COVID. that you couldn't another point that's being made here uh, clearly is that it's worth in real economic terms, Michael McGrath, it's worth a lot less now than it was when it was decided to give it out. And a part of the reason it's worth that, le- you know, so much less now is the delay yeah. in paying it over. Yeah, look, we we have experienced high inflation in recent months, and and that's a fair point. A um, thousand euro today uh, goes uh, less far than a thousand euro six months ago. Uh, that is certainly the case. But look, the priority is for us to uh, get these payments out as quickly as possible. And from talking to Minister Donnelly and from being in touch with Paul Reid, I know the HSC and the department are are very anxious to get this done. Um, like, are you as the man only... responsible for spending public money? Are you in a position to turn around and say? I want all these payments made by a given date. Well, look, I don't dictate to people. They they manage their own budgets and they they have their own constraints and challenges uh, like the rest of us or any other government departments. We're there in my department really to support them uh, and to help in any way that we can. And, uh, you know, the, the, these things are always straightforward at the headline level. But when you get into the nitty-gritty detail, um, it can be complex. I gave the example of people who work, you know, part-time or people who maybe only worked for a few weeks in, in relation to the COVID period. And all of these issues have to be worked out and the precise eligibility defined. That's all done now. It is all yeah. uh, agreed, though, as I say, unions would like the scheme to have gone further and the priority now is just to get the payment issued and it is pretty wide ranging when you look at the list of people involved in the whole vaccination process uh, and so on who who will be getting this payment it's richly deserved, it's only a token of appreciation Um, it shouldn't have taken this long but I I do expect it will be largely completed for the directly employed staff in the next few weeks across this month We've just had uh, a message in uh, from a nurse who's directly employed by HS it's on their payslip for tomorrow so at least it seems to be starting that's good to hear somebody here says a family member worked with the defence forces as a swabber for nearly two years with the testing centres, are they entitled to the payment? you see some people still are confused yeah, swabbers who have been, let's say, seconded or doing work on behalf of the health service uh, will be getting it. I mean, any uh, employees of public bodies like the Defence Forces who uh, performed functions that were directly uh, related uh, to provision of services during COVID, yeah. healthcare services, uh, will get it. So, I mean, it, that's just an example of the kind of thing that had to be worked out. But yes, is the answer okay. to that. Private nursing home workers, will they get it? They worked right uh, through? Yes, Yes, they will. Yeah, private nursing home will. I mean, look, there are those who won't get a PJ and they've made their case uh, loud and clear and including, you know, GP practice nurses, uh, private hospital employees. But the difficulty we had was that 
uh, there are a lot of state employees where the government is the employer uh, who, who made the case that they should get it and the answer was no and so it made the task then of going beyond our core employees in the healthcare more and more difficult and an exception was made uh, for the uh, private nursing home staff because I mean no one could, could deny I think the role that they played uh, during the worst of it uh, and also hospices who you know had to provide palliative care in many instances to people who, who were dying with COVID during those dark days. Mike, Mike may move on, Minister, to the sure. cost of living in general and the price of petrol and diesel gone crazy again. And um, yeah. because of the, the Russian sanctions, um, which I don't think anybody would, would disagree with having to sanction Vladimir Putin. But at this stage, <clears throat> excuse me, sanctioning Vladimir Putin is costing ordinary people money. And the Taoiseach speaking... Uh, the European Union just told us it's going to get worse. It is a watershed moment in terms of fossil fuels in general, which will make for fairly rocky territory over the next number of years in terms of pricing around fossil fuels. We cannot get away from that. That will have spiked fear into many families up and down the country. I, I understand that, but it, it is important that uh, the Taoiseach and the rest of us in government are honest with people. And uh, the truth is that this war has changed an awful lot of things and the energy markets have been completely uh, dislocated as a result of the war in Ukraine and unfortunately uh, there is a price for uh, all of society to pay and as a government you know we've already made certain interventions we won't go through all of those people yeah. because your, your listeners are well familiar with they've all been swallowed up um, now I know I, I, I accept that this went nowhere near the full costs that people have had to face um, but from where I sit, um, like we do have to look at the overall picture. Yeah. They came to about 2.4 billion euro. Yeah. I have to make sure, along with Minister Donoghue, that come uh, the budget, which is now under preparation, yeah. that we have the resources for uh, the remainder of this year and for all of next year. Yeah. And there will be many other demands in health, in housing, yeah. in childcare, in transport, just to name a few examples. And, and the books, well the books must well, balance. But I, I'm sure you'd... As you'd, well as doing more on the cost yeah. of living, which we acknowledge. I, I'm sure you would acknowledge, Michael McGrath, you and I are two people who were lucky to be well paid. We're, we're both yeah. well paid for our jobs. This current surge in the cost of living, you know, we can sustain it. We're in that lucky yeah. position. We can sustain it. Our families can sustain it. There are hundreds of families listening to us this morning who can barely sustain what's happened already. And already they're over their head. And they're looking at months more of it. What's going to happen? I accept that a lot of people are, are genuinely struggling uh, at the moment with these costs and uh, no matter what you're earning, I think you can see them, those costs on a day-to-day -day basis, which are right. Um, many people can absorb them uh, and others simply don't have the capacity to absorb them uh, because of their income. And uh, like that is why we made interventions that, that were exceptional in nature and we have to continue to fund them. The VAT reductions on, on electricity and gas bills, the excise reductions, though fuel has gone back up again now to do you accept you may have to look at that again in many instances um, you know we're going to have to look at everything again PJ but I think what we're saying is that it will be in the context of a budget yeah. we are going to agree in the next short number of weeks 
um, what the amount of money available for the budget is going to be. We are engaged in discussions with the unions in relation to public service pay and we're uh, having discussions with uh, the wider social partners including employer bodies and in the next uh, three weeks with uh, other stakeholders as well as to how collectively as a country mm-hmm. we can get ourselves through this period and support the people who are most in need. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. This is a difficult time for many and uh, you know these inflation statistics are real cost They're frightening for is what they ordinary are. people. They're yeah, frightening. They're, they're, I mean, I'm, 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 of a, I'm of a certain age. I have never in my time on the planet seen inflation like this, Michael McGrath. I ne- I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's a it's a forty year high. I mean, it's eight point two percent at the moment, and it's not just fuel now. I think people are seeing it in their their grocery baskets, and they're seeing it in other day to day. Because the cost well. of transport has gone sky high, so food is getting more expensive because of transport. Yeah, so fuel, you're absolutely you're correct, it impacts on the cost of so many other things, um, but also the war has caused major problems in the supply of food. We are going to see, unfortunately, and I think it, it's tragic, but I think it will happen, we're going to see, and we're already seeing in parts of the world, serious food shortages. Yeah. That is going to be a consequence of this war. And, uh, the very are we geared up for that? In the world. Uh, well, it's a, it's a are we geared up for a supply chain crisis here? In Ireland, yes, absolutely, we're we're fine in that sense of the supply of food. Affordability for people is is a different matter, um, but globally, uh, there there will be food shortages in parts of the world, and uh, that I think is not just going to be in the coming months. But you cannot just fix what has happened uh, overnight uh, for the next couple of years. I think we're looking at serious problems in the very poorest part of the world uh, in relation to food. And it's not something that's got much traction so far, but it will become the emerging story in many respects from this war. Um, Total nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare, Michael McGrath. There's no other word for it. Can I just draw you back short, just lastly, to the uh, at least some people can still afford to get a holiday. And we saw yeah. the, the disgraceful situation last weekend at uh, Dublin Airport. And, and you, you were speaking in the doll uh, yesterday. And it just, yeah. you, you don't need me to remind you what, what you said, but I just want to remind listeners. The DA needs to do whatever it takes to make sure that this issue is addressed and that we do not see those kind of scenes again, in particular on the forthcoming uh, bank holiday weekend. Would doing whatever it takes entail picking up the phone <clears throat> to the military police and saying, you have the personnel with the training. Can we borrow a couple of bus loads? Well, the, the DA before the, the Joint Directors Committee this afternoon and uh, prior to that, they will have to uh, publish their plan for uh, dealing with this issue. Like the scenes were a disgrace and uh, we, we cannot afford to see them again. It's reputationally very damaging. Um, but the biggest issue is that, you know, at least 1,400 people missed their flight, yes. which is an awful thing missed to happen. Missed their flight, missed their holiday, missed their cruise, yeah. missed their wedding, missed their concert, missed their match. You know, yeah, exactly. Missed their, their, their flight home, tours who were here, yes. and it was a good time here. It's, it's a bitter pill for them to have to swallow at the end of their trip. And as you say, many Irish people planning uh, long-awaited and, and well-deserved uh, trips abroad. So, look, it was a, it was a serious failure of management uh, at the airport, and uh, it needs to be fixed. And um, Military police uh, have the training and the expertise and the logistics. They could be look, called in. Well, 
Yeah, we're not ruling anything out, um, PJ, uh, and we'll see what Dalton Phillips and uh, his team have to say today, but we cannot afford a repeat of, of those scenes. And I know that uh, the case has been made that Cork Airport uh, is in a position to do more. It's empty. It's, posi- it's practically it empty. in a position to do more. It is, um, it is recovering uh, but at about close to 80% of where it was back in 2019, um, that about 2.6 million passengers in, in 2019, um, so they're running at, at close yeah. to 80% of that, um, you know, we'll, we'll tip over to 2 million passengers. But there are no big queues? Um, no big queues, they have the capacity, certainly with existing uh, infrastructure to go to at least 3 million, and with yeah. some tweaks they could go to 4 million, so that's potentially... So could some flights be diverted down here? Well, it, it, like, it is a decision for the airlines, ultimately, as to what airports they fly uh, in and out of. As a government, what we have done is supported Cork Airport, I think, to a very large extent, uh, about 25 million last year and across this year in very specific supports for the runway, for their operational costs. Uh, extra COVID supports to allow them to attract airlines uh, back to Cork. Uh, they now have up over 40 routes. We saw the announcement by Ryanair in recent days, three new routes for the summer, yeah. Valencia, Pisa sure. um, and Sardinia. Uh, and uh, from talking to, to Roy O'Driscoll at the airport, I think they are pretty confident of some more positive announcements. Cork Airport is so flying. I'm looking forward to flying out of it myself in a few weeks' time. But um, the, the so point nice. is Dublin, yeah. Dublin Airport is a mess right now. And the, the fear of people is that there'll be another mess this weekend and that actually, beneath it all, nobody knows what to do. That seems to be the message out there now. Nobody actually knows what to do. Well, I think they need more staff and they need more security lanes uh, opened. You know, I went through the airport myself on Monday of last week, um, I was going to the States for a few days and it took um, almost two hours to check in at Aer Lingus. So was that a DA issue or was that an airline issue? Um, I don't know, but like that's very unusual in my experience to have to spend that length of time uh, queuing to check in uh, before you even get to security. So uh, there are uh, there are issues there. I think uh, they, they, they certainly need more staff. They did let a lot of staff go in a voluntary redundancy, yeah. voluntary severance scheme during COVID. And they put terms and conditions on that. They should be scratched and those people brought back. Yeah, well, look, if, uh, you know, if they, if they have an ask of government and uh, if they have a proposal as to how government can help, um, then of course we listen to that and do what we can uh, to assist because we cannot afford uh, a repeat of what happened last weekend. It was terrible to see. Yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Your donations will make a massive difference. I'm delighted to announce that the total raised in the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon for 2022 is an astonishing €383,973.68. Well done. A 
huge thank you to everyone who supported the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Only on Cork's 96FM. A few things on, on the airport. I think I might have been taking a small bit out of context there. Um, I'm a bit annoyed that PJ said Cork Airport is flying. The entire day of flights at Cork Airport is less than one hour in Dublin. It lets the government or the minister off the hook to say it's flying. Well, Okay, I take that. That's a little bit out of context in terms of the fact that there are no long queues. <clears throat> and yesterday, the place was practically empty. And at least at a, a look or a visual inspection, shall way, Cork could take an awful lot more pressure. And I've known times when Cork was under an awful lot more pressure uh, on hand and handled it. But I, I, I take your point. I take your point. Cork is not uh, as busy as it was by any manner of means. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, a charity dealing with child sexual abuse is calling for emergency funding because their waiting list has doubled. Lockdown proved to be a nightmare for child sexual abuse. I speak of Carrie, children at risk in Ireland. Their general manager is Colm O'Brien. Colm, good morning to you. PJ, very good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Delighted. Apologies for my croakiness in advance. Um, now, you've had double the number of kids looking for help as you'd normally have. And do you blame lockdown? There's nothing else to point to, PJ. We're Carrie Children at Risk in Ireland, C-A-R-I.ie, is uh, around since 1989. So this is our 33rd year of operation. And in all those 33 years, we've never seen a doubling of our waiting list in one 12-month period. And that happened in 2020. So if you look around, well, what has changed in, in that year, our government uh, did, did what they believed was the right thing, asked us all to stay at home, to stay safe. Yeah. Unfortunately, for the children that we serve, because we, we we exist regrettably at all, but we exist to, because of the heinous crime of child sexual abuse. And uh, in that year when children were locked down, supposedly safe in their home, regrettably, uh, for the cohort of uh, people yeah. that we serve, um, it was probably the least place safe place for them to be. And you're saying that with your current assets, as it were, your current funding, it'll take you five years to clear the list. Yes, unfortunately, and that's why that's why we're we've got an appeal to government to step up. Uh, you know, I was listening to your last segment there on capacity in Dublin Airport and Cork Airport, etc. And um, I, our our issue here in Kerry isn't in fact capacity. We have the physical capacity, the, the number of therapy rooms available in our two centres. We've got our headquarters here in Limerick, right. and we've got a centre in Dublin, and we have the physical capacity to, capacity to see about one hundred and fifty families uh, currently we're only able to f- see 50 because of funding so right. it's it's tragic that in fact we've got the capacity and and truthfully um you know a, a therapy room sitting idle is a child yeah. and family sitting at home in pain yes yes and that's that's put very well an empty therapy room is a therapy room in which somebody could uh, be getting therapy and if I may be so bold as to just to t- tag on to the airport conversation earlier, if, if Michael O'Leary had 88 planes sitting on the ground or 100 planes sitting on the ground, there'd be murder, right? So we've got effectively 100 uh, therapy sessions available through our centres, uh, but we can't afford to hire the psychotherapist to work with the children. And that five-year waiting list we're talking about, we've got 254 names of children aged between three and 18 years. I mean, as low as three. 
suffered child sexual abuse and uh, and and they're on our waiting list and at, at our current capacity in terms of uh, psychotherapists available because of funding we can only see 50 a year so it'll take us five years to cure it if however uh, government steps up and helps us and gives us there are two things we, we need a significant emergency funding now so that we can begin the work to clear the waiting list. But we could clear that waiting list. Have you a figure in mind, if you had, that that you've done, have you got a figure in mind that I mean, the, the government could give you right yeah. now that would solve the problem? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, it costs about €10,000 to see one family through our doors. They come into our doors, unfortunately, PJ, broken. You know, I, I can't even imagine what a family must go through when, when there's a disclosure of child sexual abuse. And then the bravery that has to come about for everybody to step up and say, we're going to bring this to the authorities. And then for them to end up on a waiting list for the help that they desperately need and deserve. And uh, it's going to take us years to get to them. I mean, it, it's just unconscionable. So we, t- 10,000 10, euro per family, because it takes roughly a year on average. Again, we're 33 years old, PJ. So we, we have the staff. It takes roughly a year for family to come in who's broken to leave our doors uh, in better shape, better able to cope with what has happened. We can never turn the clock back, but we can help them heal. We can give them tools with which to cope. And the whole idea here is that if we can break the silence on this heinous crime, which is endemic, right, in society, uh, we can hopefully break the cycle because a lot of a lot of child sexual abuse, unfortunately, is intergenerational. So if we can help a child recover and cope with what has happened, well then, please God, mm. 30 years from now, there won't be real real offending going on. You're looking for and a few million then, and you need it handed we're, no, over we're, now. We're, 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 we're looking for one million. If, if, we, if we had one million a year in extra funding for the next three years, plus, and the second thing we need is meaningful dialogue with the powers that be to put in place a sustainable model going forward. There, there were 3,909 cases of child sexual abuse in Ireland uh, uh, reported to Tusla in 2019. Uh, our numbers at that time were 92. So we were, we were sitting looking at a list of 92 out of 3,909. And by the way, may I talk about the numbers for Cork? Would that be appropriate? Very much so. Okay, so in, 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 in 2019, uh, TUSA recorded 3,909 cases of child sexual abuse that were reported. And of that, outside of Dublin, regrettably, Cork had the highest number of reported cases. 529 children in Cork reported uh, child sexual abuse in 2019. I had a quick look at the stats for 2021. They're not fully in, but in 2019, for the first three quarters of the year, there were 410 cases reported in Cork. And in 2021, for that same period, the first three quarters, uh, it was 417. So they're there about that same number. But look, a shocking number. And, and, And if I may be so bold as to say, I touched on it earlier, that the bravery that must come into a family situation for them to realise something unconscionable has happened and then for them to say if we step up here this is we're, we're, we're basically going to out ourselves you know and, and, the, and the situation to other people we have to assume and we've, we've anecdotal evidence of this to carry over the years that many families choose not to report yeah that we keep we, we keep this under wraps the, the, the problem here is 20 years down the road. The problem here is when uh, up, up to 90% of, of children who've been abused, um, who don't get a proper intervention, uh, will develop some form of mental illness by, yeah. by the age of 18. They'll be broken uh, adults. On top of, 
Absolutely. And, on top, and, and of course, hurt people hurt people, PJ. So it, it sort of goes towards that issue that, uh, you know, um, uh, sexual abuse is intergenerational. So, and, and, and furthermore, and we see this with Pieta the whole time, furthermore, um, the, the incidence of, of suicidal ideation amongst uh, people who've been abused in their early years is phenomenal. So the challenge for us all, and it's a challenge for government today, 100% for government today, right? But, but, it's, but it's not going to go away even if the government changes. The challenge for, for us all as society is to wrap our arms around this problem, bring it out into the open, break the silence. If we can break the silence, we can perhaps break the cycle. And if we do that, well, then maybe we can save uh, children into the future. Okay. All right. But for now, you need money and you need a million a year for the next couple of years just to keep up with the waiting list. Thank you very much, Colm O'Brien. He's General Manager at uh, CARI, which is Children at Risk in Ireland. 0818 I have more tickets today for Riverdance Live at the Marquee. Sunday afternoon, matinee performance, June 5th, 2.30. Pair of tickets for you. And we give them away later this morning. We have a pair every day. Joan will be here tomorrow on Friday and she'll have a pair as well. But today we get a pair of Riverdance tickets. We'll start running them now, actually, because it's really easy. It's just text the word Riverdance and your name to 083 396 96 96. All right. We're going to go see Riverdance Sunday afternoon matinee performance live at the marquee. Thanks to Aiken Promotions. 083 396 96 96. The word Riverdance and your name. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving home. The Big Drive Home. Weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Festival season is here. And this week on the show, I want to get you to one of the biggest festivals in the country. Independence in Mitchellstown. I've got a pair of weekend camping tickets to give away every day and you could be heading along if you can crack the indie mix. I'll tell you more weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. With Cash and Carry Kitchens, Tremor Road and Photo Retail Park. Talk to the kitchen experts about your free design consultation. See cashandcarrykitchens.ie On Cork's 96FM. Not sure if you've ever seen a pedestrian crossing with the rainbow colours on it. It's kind of a pride celebration thing and of course we're coming into Pride Month in, in June um, and Councillor Danielle Toomey you've asked for some Pride crossings to be created some rainbow crossings which just involves painting the pretty colours of the rainbow down the side of the pedestrian crossing you've been met with a flat no have you? Good morning Hi good morning PJ you're sick are you? Not. That's the problem I'm not not remotely Oh no I know yeah <laughs> I know. Yes, um, I did. I had a request um, following a very public campaign from Limerick County Council and Dublin County Council who had agreed um, or who had actually installed these crossings. Um, the one in Dublin, I think, was an uh, initiative done by the mayor where a controlled pedestrian crossing, the, the white lines were replaced with rainbow colours and in Limerick, the rainbow flag was painted to the side of the crossing. Mm. So I suppose um, um, some members of the LGBTQ plus community contacted me and asked me if I would move a similar motion um, in Cork County Council. And I, supp- I suppose the sentiment behind it was 
um, you know, look, it, it's an inclusive measure and it's celebrating and supporting that community within the public realm, which meant an awful lot to members of that community. Um, and yes, I was, you know, I had great support within the council from the, the other councillors um, who understood the sentiment. But unfortunately, um, it's, it's very prohibitive of the current legislation that we have that covers pedestrian crossings. Yeah. So therefore, we can't really just go ahead and do it. Um, it's a, you know, there is a, a health and safety aspect to it. Of course, that has to be paramount. Um, so I suppose, look, um, I, I did ask for the Director of Services give, um, you know, give, give a response saying that, you know, because it is that there is that the zebra crossings are prescribed in traffic law by the traffic yeah. manual and various traffic acts and regulations, that we have to abide by them. And yeah. when we don't abide by them, um, it can cause... Mr. Um, Mr. Barrett, that's his name, he, he said that to deviate from the established convention would be unsafe, unexpected and could present a danger, which would be fine if they didn't already exist in Limerick, Wicklow and Dublin, yeah. and if we can get one into the city in time for Pride Week. So so what's he talking about? Well, to be fair to Mr. Um, to Padraig Barrett, um, he's on the ball with what he said. There is, it is in contravention to the legislation. So um, he... He, we had a telephone conversation pri- um, previous to this and, you know, he's agreed, like, he's very supportive of the motion um, and he has agreed to try and find, um, to see if we can find a way to do it. Well, they've done it elsewhere, so you could maybe ring his opposite number in those local authorities and say, well, what did you do? Yeah, well, the plan was that he was going to speak to the colleagues within the other councils to see what way they got around it. Um, and also, I think that the, that it's gone to the SPC, the, the planning committee, or the, sorry, the the um, policy committee around traffic management and, and roads to see if there is a way that we could do it. I mean, look, I suppose at the end of the day, if... Um, the, you, uh, the, the uncontrolled crossing in Limerick that had it painted towards the sides, maybe that's the way that they could have got around it. But the one in Dublin was a controlled crossing, which meant a push-button crossing. And therefore, it was a lot safer to, to um, you know, to, 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 to introduce one there. It's a few different so, colours. I'm not too sure where where the confusion would come. But then again, I'm not, a, I'm not a roads engineer. But again, to come back to the question, Danielle, like it is being done in other places. I know someone... Another councillor, didn't they try it down in uh, Clonakilty in October 2020? And that got Paul turned Hayes. down to Paul Hayes yeah, did that. Hayes. So th- yeah. we just seem to have an individual, <clears throat> and no disrespect to him, he's doing what he's, he, what he's paid to do, he's implementing the rules. But the rules, they seem to be a bit tight on rules in Cork County Council. Well, I think, uh, um, to be fair to the Director of Services from the Road and Transportation, he's very good at his job. He is really no is. And no he, I think the safety aspect of everything he does is paramount to him. Yeah. Um, and which, of course, it should be. Um, but, you know, look, he has agreed that he, that they're going to look at okay. other options that they could do. Um, like I did mention to him, 
that, like he did say to me, maybe that we could paint some curbings, maybe we could look at painting some of our pedestrian walkways or bridges and things like that. So he's very open to it. I suppose he's he's caught legislation wise and he wants to follow things by the okay. book, which, to be fair. you know, yeah. to be fair is, you know, I, I suppose if, if, if they went against the rules and something untoward happened, then we'd be here asking questions as to why they went against the rules. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose, look, I mean, if, there, if they did contravene the legislation, it would open Cork County Council to liability or prosecution yes. in, 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 you know, instances of accidents and stuff like that. And obviously they have to protect themselves from that. Yeah. I mean, I just, one thing I do have to say is that, you know, in every aspect of, um, like, Cork County Council have always been very supportive of Pride. Yeah. Um, we raise the Pride flags in most of our buildings, Um um, and you know we, you know they are very, very much in support and in yeah. celebrating that. So yeah. I wanted to take it one step further, okay. and I don't want it to be construed that they're not in support of of these measures when Fair they enough. are. We're just we're so just they're saying they're saying to you, Danielle. They're saying we'd, we'd we'd be quite happy to do it, but the rules don't allow. It's just amazing, Danielle. Jumi, thank you, <coughs> Sinn Fein Councillor Freescock. It's just baffling that. Other places seem to be able to do it. But look, thank you for that because it's a discussion that's worth having. Um, t- to quote, again, the Director of Services, who's doing his job, shall we say, and doing it well, he says that a deviation from established conventions would be unsafe, unexpected, and could present a danger to road users. And Councillor Toomey admits that he is right. right but other places are doing this so if I was Mr Barrett and I'm not but if I was I would be picking up the phone to the other councils and speaking to my opposite number and saying come here Charlie or come here Mary how did you do it? how did you get around the the rules? that's kind of I would have thought how one shares these ideas 6FM here's an interesting one I didn't read this out earlier on. Top of the sanctions with the Minister for um, Public Expenditure and how the EU has agreed more sanctions now against Russia with regard to oil and gas and uh, how the Taoiseach was saying, well, we have to do this. We have to have the sanctions, but they're going to mean tough, tough times for the rest of us. Here's what he was saying. It is a watershed moment in terms of fossil fuels in general, which will make for fairly rocky territory over the next number of years in terms of pricing around fossil fuels. We cannot get away from that. Yeah, here's a, a message that says, I disagree with sanctions. For me, my family comes first, and I'm struggling to keep a roof over our head because of those sanctions. Now, Jay McAuliffe, there was a night at the Ballyfahan Community Association last night, an exhibition at the centre about retrofitting and people moving towards retrofitting and the benefits of retrofitting. Is there an interest out there in it, Jay? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Um, look, we had a good night. I, I think by all accounts last night, there was a good turnout. Um, some very, very valid questions asked of our, our kind of expert panel that we had on the night. There is definitely interest amongst the people that were there. Um, look, I think everyone has their own personal issues and uh, we, you know, as part of the 
as part of the DMG master plan that was done, which is actually the first in Cork City to be completed. It was retrofitting and, I suppose, works to the community centre building that um, that we were focusing on. So it's, it's a key piece of work, but there is interest there. Look, there's, I, there's, there's, it's obvious that there's a big upfront cost, but as, as an example, that was included in the, the energy master plan, which is fully available on the community centre website. There was a dwelling in um, a house in Botanic Road, which is currently an F-rated BER, which, if going through a deep retrofit scheme, brings it up to an A1. Yeah, yeah. You see, the thing is, it's very, as people have been saying repeatedly now, Jake, for a while, it's very costly. And, and yeah. the grants, even the maximum grants, barely take the edge off. It does, yeah, I 100% agree. And um, it's, it's something personally that I, I would be looking into in, in my own home. But again, the cost of front of it, and it looked, at, and there's no getting away from it. There was about 40 um, odd grand of, of an example in that house, nearly half of it in, in grants, which I think increased a bit this year from what they were previously. But there's still a significant chunk of change to be financed either by by um, banking institutions or local credit unions. But I think that there has been talk of um, government-backed loan schemes as well, which I think the lads need to get the finger out now and get something in place for, yeah. for that because like their SEI and government departments are pushing the, the retrofitting yeah. angle. But if, if schemes like that are and put in place, it's never going to happen. With the general feeling, lastly and briefly, Jake, at that meeting last night would have been, look, we're interested in this... We'd love to try it, but the government are going to have to make it easy. I believe so, yeah. And um, it, there was that was from the, the floor, the questions last night, that the, the, the cost is, is prohibitive to a lot of people. Um, but I suppose we're, the SEC group, are keen to explore next steps, see what interest is there from the community and, and neighbouring communities. The more, I suppose, houses that we could get involved the less it's going to be due to economies of scale and other opportunities. So yeah. um, we're going to try and, and drive it, PJ, to see what we can get with it. All right. Okay, appreciate that, Jake. Thank you, Jake's accountant. Uh, looking at the retrofitting, they want us all to retrofit our houses. Uh, it's costly. There are grants. The grants barely take the edge off. Do you want to, would you retrofit your house if it was affordable? Um, could you retrofit your house right now? even using the maximum grants available. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. On retrofitting, uh, Carlos says my sister did hers with air to water. Now her electricity bills have gone through the roof and they're exploring using solar panels to cope with that, which of course is more expense. PJ, retrofitting is out of reach for the majority of people. If you own your home and it's paid for, the last thing you want to do is take on another large loan. And I think that's a commonly held view. Look, I've paid for my home. My mortgage is nearly done, or it might be done. 
And the last thing I want is to be taking on more debt uh, to retrofit my home. I'm all for retrofitting, but it's not easy. And the grants don't even go there. Don't even go anywhere near going there. Uh, And particularly at a time when the cost of living has gone through the roof anyway. Whether it's an insulated roof or not, people just can't afford it. They just cannot afford to retrofit. Much as Eamon Ryan would like to think, or like us to think, that they can make it easy for us. They can't. It's never going to be easy. Actually, do you know what? I mentioned June earlier on. And again, apologies for the voice. I was just talking about Eamon Ryan and the Green Party and retrofitting and, and the environment and all that. And we all know we got to take it seriously. We have to take the environment seriously. It's, it's, it's a mess. But I think there's a lot of lawns would be cut today. Um, the no mo may thing has been all over social media and people putting up pictures of daisies and dandelions and other such lovely things and butterflies and bees and all that in their gardens that they've left untended for the whole month of May. Some people loved it because they're just lazy gardeners. The pollinators and the bees and the butterflies were in and had a lovely time. But I think myself that the buzz of lawnmowers will be very loud indeed over the next couple of days. Because, you see, the problem is butterflies and buttercups and daisies and dan- they're all lovely. Lovely. But lads, they're weeds. That's the problem. And when you have those weeds, you'll get other weeds like thistles and nettles and dock leaves. And I'm sorry, but I don't want them in my garden. 0818 96 96 96. Councillor John Maher says there is a way to get around the difficulties with the Pride crossings. Uh, myself and Councillor Laura Bogues motion in Cork City Council will see the first two coming into Cork in the coming weeks. It must happen. Thanks, John. <clears throat> right, excuse me, I have a book in my hand. Um, the kind of book that will find its way into suitcases. Um, and we do a lot of books in the summertime here because I think people read a lot. I certainly anyway, read an awful lot more in the summer when the weather is good and the evenings are mild and dry. And I have a book in my hand. I've always been, been talking for years about how wonderful I think Irish female, Irish crime writing anyway, but Irish female crime writing is, is just magnificent. And Joe Spain's new book arrived into the office a couple of weeks ago. Myself and Fiona have been fighting over it since. Now she's going on holidays. Um, tomorrow, so I had to get finished with it in time for her to go. So, or it's Friday, anyway. So, I've been talking to Joe Spain about her new book. Joe, the book is called The Last to Disappear. It's one of those books that you would hope, I guess, as a writer, will find its way into many suitcases uh, as people head off for holidays because it's that kind of a read. It's a good mystery to read on the beach. Where'd the idea come from? I'm just thinking it's a good mystery to read in the beach and I'm going to leave them all freezing, PJ. I know. It's, <laughs> it's that At least you know you're warm and dry on the beach. Yeah. Well, it, you're warm and you're dry and you're not drowning in an icy lake, which is what happens in the start of this book. Um, I mean, I think the idea was very much inspired by place. Sometimes I start with character and sometimes I start with plot. But in this one, Lapland was the, the main character because I'd been developing a show over there just pre-lockdown. Mm. And when I came back to Ireland, I'd done a lot of location scouting and I couldn't shake that area from my head. It was so 
vividly present in my mind all the time because it's one of those places that evokes it's, it's the newness of it you've not seen anything like Lapland and it's freezing and it's mind-blowingly beautiful so I started with the idea of Lapland and it seemed to me very obvious that one of the most dangerous things in Lapland are these lakes and they're so thick in parts that they actually bring the cars over to do the ads like the, the Porsche and the Alfa Romeo go flying across these lakes mm. And they run across them and they use them as roads. But there's also parts of them that are absolutely deadly. And at the start of this book, a girl goes into the lake and then her brother, she's a Londoner, working as a tour guide. And her brother comes over to see what's after happening to her. So it it started from that. But I mean, the the location was the, the main point of interest for me and the main point probably selling it to people now who are sweating on beaches all over Europe this summer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, writing a, a crime novel, Joe, along, what well, I might say, a format that is tried and tested. In other words, person dies or goes missing. Someone goes to investigate the mystery. They get enveloped in a whole set of secrets in a in a different place. It's It's a formula. So how do you make something unique within a formula like that? Is it the characters? I think it's a. I mean, I think it's a lot of things. It's it's the writer to start with. Everybody's unique in terms of what they bring to the page. And um, people often say to me that they, you know, they have a book in them or they want to write a book, but they're worried it would be too similar. Particularly if you're entering into the crime genre. And I always say, well, what's not similar is you. You're you're unique, mm. and your perception of the world is unique, and what you put on the page, how you put your words together, is unique to you. So it starts there. But I think. Each crime writer does it different. I mean, I there's nothing new under the sun. And if you can yeah. think of a plot, probably has been written before. But the way you imbue your characters with emotion, the location you choose, you know, there haven't actually been that many books written in Lapland and the Arctic Circle for crime. You can try to find the new thing, but you shouldn't always try to find the, the new gimmick. You know, the, the, the oldies are the best. And sometimes plots are classic for a reason. So the Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express, and, you know, mm. who did it? They all did it. These things are, they're done over and over again, but people do them slightly differently. And I guess when I write, I really do try to bring up these brand new characters each time. And again, there's only so many types of human personality. But if you just play on humour and intelligence and the people you know when you put everything in more often than not like that that story will sing on the page and you don't have to worry about it being like another story somewhere because you know what everybody just loves reading crime fiction they just and do. they do there's a sense as well that a main character like Alex in this he's taken completely out of his comfort zone into Lapland to search and try to find out what happened to his sister and is the fish out of water thing is that part of the plot it is. And it's it's something I used in my last book last year as well, The Perfect Lie, where you're taking somebody and throwing them into somewhere. Even last year I was in America and she thinks it's familiar. She's an Irish woman, but it's she's still a stranger. You know, she's a stranger to the jurisdiction. And it's the same here because he's used to the Metropolitan Police. He's used to kind of CCTV on every road. The buildings, I'm, I was in London last week and it's just so busy and it's it's teeming with people and you go over to the arctic circle and there are no people for many 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 hundreds of thousands of kilometers i remember saying things like where where's the nearest village and they were like what's a village because a village is a road with maybe two houses and a gas station in lapland so he goes over and it's a shock to his system physically and mentally and he's joins up with this youngish policewoman who's a single mother of three and he's looking at her thinking 
you got to be kidding, right? You're not in charge of this investigation because he wants the team and he wants the, the case boards and he wants, you know, the incident room. There's none of that in Lapland. They do old style police work. And I guess, I mean, this book will sell over in Finland, but it's primarily British and Irish readers coming to it. And we're almost seeing Lapland through Alex's eyes, which is how I wrote it because I was the guinea pig when I went over from my production crew and they made me do everything just to see how I reacted. <laughs> so yeah. I've done the same. When I read your books, Joe, um, I always find myself picturing what the characters in them would look like or who would act that part on television. That's where the television side of you comes out. You, you, you paint pictures of the people and you paint pictures of the places. Yeah, and you'd be amazed at how unsuccessful I am at um, actually sitting down and telling producers what actors I want to play the characters in my shows. <laughs> it's always down to casting and money. And, you know, you might say, look, I've got this A-list actor in mind for this part and he's who I've been writing. And they just say, OK, try again. <laughs> try again, you know, make your list and, and we'll get down to number eight on the list before we can cast someone, you know. But um, I mean, I think I do. I, I write very vividly now and I, I think visually, I think of the story visually and it's a pleasure to do novels because I'm not as restricted as I am when yeah. I'm doing TV. TV is all about the money and the restrictions, but novels are a lovely story, but it, I, I'm definitely putting a lot more visual into them now. Yeah. Reading a little bit about you, I was surprised to discover who it was who said, well, Joe, if you want to write, go and write. Pierce Doherty? Yeah, well, no, he wasn't. He was he was the latest in a, in a line of them. The yeah. first person to say that to me was my primary school teacher um, who I was in. I grew up in a very working class area and he all, took me aside and said, you have talent um, and pursue that talent. And I, I wrote in different ways. I went to college and I studied politics and I ended up working as a political advisor for Pearson. But writing has always been my dream. So, you know, writing politics is very different to writing <laughs> what I do now. And I thought I was going to do this and I was pursuing it and I was writing it at night time and um, I mentioned it to him. I said, I'm, I'm writing a novel and he's an avid crime fiction fan. And instead of saying, you know, Asher, like, would you not do <laughs> more work for me in the evening or whatever? He, he was wholeheartedly, this is fantastic. Right. Can't wait to read it. And he read one of the first drafts. He actually was one of the first people to read the first draft after my husband and himself and his wife. And they rang me up very early the next morning and said, we sat up all night reading that book. Wow. I kind of felt then, and I was like, you know, Pierce, you're coming up to the doll to vote now. Why are we up all night? <laughs> I really, I thought I had, I had something then. I'd hooked some people in, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's been, he's been supportive ever since. Your husband reads everything first, I think, does he? He does. He is my, I, I call him kind of the, the A reader because he's not a crime fiction fan. Really? He doesn't pick up crime fiction himself. No, he, you know, it's not that he's, he's not anti-crime fiction but he would pick up autobiographies or proper novels as I call them you know yeah. and I would have the stack of crime fiction going into the suitcase and he'd be bringing this massive big Bill Bryson 1932 book or whatever it is he wrote um, and if he reads my crime novels and I see him really getting engaged I know I've done a good job then because it's not something he'd pick up naturally. So I have to work very hard to keep him involved and interested. And if I get him, I've got all the crime readers. No problem. Yeah, It's television and books for you. Which do you prefer to be doing? It's it's a tough question. I, 
I tend to love the one that I'm with. I mean, when I'm writing a novel, it's the only place I want to be because it's it's a really pure form of storytelling and it's it's just me and I'm in charge of what's happening. And and then you kind of get into TV and you're being pulled from pillar to post to try and please, you know, yeah. it's a big collaboration and you're trying to please the station and everybody at the end of the day. But TV is very rewarding then because you've written something and it's visualised and you're looking at it on screen and there's millions and millions and millions of people. I think Harry Wilde at the moment is one of the biggest shows in America. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest show for the for the station that's broadcasting it over there. And you're thinking, I we did that, you yeah. know, so there's, there's a massive instant reward. But I know a lot more screenwriters who want to be authors. I mean, I think authors want to be screenwriters because there's all the money's in TV. But a lot of screenwriters kind of think, you know, for me to write a really true story that's true to me, I need to put it in a book. So I'm getting the best of both worlds. And if I can keep it going for a few more years because it's a tough ask doing a book and several shows every year I'll, I'll keep it going as long as I can yeah that that's feeling though when credits start to roll I wrote this how does that feel that must be magic it's it's mine we we, we the screen in the Harry Wilder a few weeks ago it's the first show I'm the executive producer on as well as the co-writer and it came up executive producer Jane Seymour David Logan Joe Spain and I'm sharing a card with somebody who's been a Hollywood A-lister for the last, I don't know, 50 odd years. And you're thinking, is that, is that me? <laughs> it's, 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 I feel the same, to be honest, when I see my name in books. I, I was signing all the copies in Dublin yesterday, going around all the various stores. And it's my name on the book. And I feel a bit detached from it because it's hard to believe that people want to read your story or want to watch your show. And yet your name is on it. So... Yeah. They must do. Well, congratulations on this. We look forward to Harry Wilde. I know nothing about it. I know it's very big in America, but I'm so looking forward to it. When, when are we going to get to see it? I think you'll, I mean, it's everywhere in the world it's shown right now. And I think RT is hanging on for the summer because it's a summer show. And so she's a retired professor and she solves crimes. It's kind of a weekly mystery thing um, by using literary references. So it was right up my alley when it yeah. came on the desk. I, I turned on a few shows that year and this one arrived and I read the pilot from David and I just broke my heart laughing. So yeah. We're having a bit of fun with it. Well, we look forward to seeing that. I wish you every success with The Last to Disappear. Who knows? That could be on television soon too. Joel, thanks for being with us on The Opinion Line. Thank you, PJ. That's Joel Spain and her book is out now. It's called The Last to Disappear. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. We talked um, last week to uh, a Make the Wish or Make a Wish family, and today we're going to talk to another one. Uh, Nicola is going to join me to talk about Joe, um, who sounds like a wonderful fun-loving little lad, Nicola. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about him and his obsession with Super, Mali- Super Mario. Um, Joe was diagnosed with a Williams tumour last April in last year. And when he was in hospital, there's not much to do as a lot of kids in hospital. Low. So he spent a lot of time on his iPad and he suddenly got very interested in Super Mario. So he when Joe likes something he gets a little bit obsessed with something so he'll try to find out as much as he can about something right. so he, his obsession uh, when he was in hospital became Super Mario and Luigi yeah. um, What's a Willem's so, tumour by the way? 
Um, it's a tumor on a kidney. Okay. A kidney. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, he he was diagnosed in April last year um, by in Crumlin and received treatment. But he received his main treatment in Cork in okay. the Mercy. Great. We're absolutely amazing. And how's he um, doing? He's doing great. He's doing very, very well. He's finished his treatment since the 30th of December, so all is going very well since. Thank Fantastic. God. So how did you um, come in touch with uh, Make-A-Wish? So um, when we were receiving our treatment in the Mercy Hospital, um, Doc... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To close, Ryan, who took charge from when we moved down to Cork, um, came into us one day when we were inside getting treatment and, and explained to, to us about Make-A-Wish um, and would we be interested. And of course, when your child is sick, all you want to do is give them something that will make them happy. Yeah. So the idea of it definitely, you know, I was definitely interested in. So we filled out the forms and um, Joe got a little sister last July so we decided that we'd leave it a couple of months um, until he was possibly feeling a bit better so the Make-A-Wish contacted us in December and asked us uh, asked us to fill in uh, a lot of information about Joe they do, they do go into great detail in finding out about the child they put an awful lot of work into making sure that the wish will make, make their I don't know I suppose when a child is sick yeah um, they have an awful lot of hard days. So they want to make sure that the day that they're going to get their wish is going to be a day that they'll remember for the rest of their life. And they do. They put sure. so much effort into doing that for, for so, Joe. So um, what was it he wanted, Nicola? So Joe was very interested in a Nintendo Switch oh, so right. that he could then get Super Mario games and play Super Mario, yeah. especially for the trips up and down to Dublin and the boring days in hospital. Mm. Um, so he Joe received his wish in March. Um, 
But not only did they just give Joe something, they made it a day to remember. Like they um they had two people dressed up as Super Mario and Luigi and they delivered what Joe received into the, into our back garden and they made it just an amazing day. The the sun was shining. We hadn't seen that smile on his face in eleven months, so it was it was just I don't know, the impact they had is, is brilliant. Like, And it was two volunteers came and did it that day. The amount of volunteers they have is unbelievable. And the work yeah. they do is just, it's, it's outstanding. Um, like, it's, as you know, it's not government funded. It's all funded by the Irish people who are so great at giving things. But yeah. this, if, if anyone is thinking of giving to a charity, please consider giving to Make-A-Wish because yeah. I suppose that they're helping, like... Um, how do I explain it? They're helping the most vulnerable in our society, children who get sick, do you know? Yeah. And it's about making them happy. And mm. um, you, you said to me the smile that, that you hadn't seen in so long, you know? Yeah, yeah. Beaming. Just, he was just beaming for the whole day. And since, he's getting so much enjoyment out of his wish since as well. Good. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it had an impact on us all. It was lovely to have just a happy day again, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know even though he's doing well and all that and you know you, you you always worry don't you of course i don't think that worry will ever leave you um no it'll never leave you yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's happy now and oh he's uh, such a happy child yeah louise yeah. and quiva i think were two people yes. you wanted to mention yes they were they were so so good that um yes they they were the ones who came to our house um what they did it was just even the way they spoke to him they were giving him hugs and he and he was dancing around the garden for them he was singing um they they were brilliant they had such a natural way with him um you know for for strangers they 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 had a big impact on him yeah, yeah. was and, there a cake Yes, there was cake. There was a huge cake. Yeah, that Make-A-Wish organised as well. It was amazing, and cupcakes. And Joe didn't realise it was going to be his wish day because we didn't tell him beforehand in case oh, it didn't go through, you know, with everything with COVID. Things get delayed. But so it was a total surprise to him, like he had no idea. It was a total surprise. He knew it would come at some stage, but he, he had no idea on the day that it was happening that day, so he, he got an awful surprise, yeah. Um, that's, that's I, I asked Joe this morning um, what impact... Uh, what a good impact people can have on a child when they're sick and he answered me that to make them smile and to make them happy you know it's 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 such a huge thing when a child feels down you know when they have a lot of bad days um, yeah, you know, yeah. I guess as, as a parent as a parent when they're sick you you worry about them and of course you know, yeah yeah it's, it's it, hard to you you try to smile for them but yeah. it's hard yeah definitely you're smiling through tears a lot of the time I yeah. bet you are I'll bet you are. All right, listen, delighted for him, delighted for the family, the great work of Make-A-Wish once again being highlighted on the opinion line. That is uh, Nicola, whose little boy Joe benefited from it with a Nintendo Switch. But they didn't just bring the Nintendo Switch. They all came dressed up as his favourite characters from Super Mario. They brought cake, they brought cupcakes, and they had a party in the garden. That's a great charity. A book that... Set out to be um, two pals going for a canoe down the river during lockdown. And it ended up being a kind of a discussion of everything from the human condition to art to music to history to people that you're interested in. And it comes under the name of the stream of everything. It's written by John Connell. John, it's a, it's a pleasant read. You and yourself and your pal decided to go down the local river, the Camlin, 
but it developed into so much else than just an exploration of that. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's great to be on the show and uh, wishing everyone uh, a good morning down in Cork. Yeah, it was a unusual time we all found ourselves in in 2020, I suppose. Yeah. I had began the journey in um, in America working on a, on a documentary on uh, farm worker rights and uh, I found myself unable to finish the project and so I had to return to um, to Ireland and this idea of the of the the Camlin and I thought that perhaps I could um, take a journey down that river uh, because you know ten years before i'd I'd been on Sydney Harbor kayaking and nearly drowned and had made a promise uh, to to God of all things to uh, if he got me off it I'd make a little trip down the river and of course life being the way it is uh, you kind of forget about these promises but it came back to me in 2020. And uh, Peter, my friend, Peter Gagan, happened to be home and I suggested it to him and he said, you know what, I've never done anything like it, so let's give it a go. Yeah, it sounds like a, a beautiful river and going for a, <clears throat> forgive the, the voice, uh, John, um, a beautiful river and a canoe along it would be make for a lovely book of observation anyway. But how do you work stuff like Billy Joel, Alan Turing, Mark Twain and, and your own personal demons into it? Because you do. I do, yeah. Well, I suppose um, we were we were on the river and we were thinking about nautical <laughs> and river-based ideas, and uh, it kind of came to us that way. You know, the the nature of river makes you think of other things in rivers, and and my books are always kind of meandering and and weaving in and out between stories and past and present. So it seemed to make sense at the time, and. Um, I suppose we were in kind of a, you know, when you move on a river, you're below the earth, you're you're below the ground, you're moving in a, in a different time space and a different time zone. And um, I think in a way it allowed us to open up our minds to, to things that maybe wouldn't be said normally. And, and you know, you touched on it there about um, depression and mental health. It was also a journey for me to let go of the past. Um, and I remember saying it to Peter, I said, I'm going to leave some things on this river. And I had an image of them flowing down the river on into the Shannon and out to the Atlantic Ocean. And, um, you know, so much of life, uh, we think only of the bad things and we don't think of the good stuff. So I think the river was a gifted two days for us to think, to fill our life with good stuff and and also to replace the negative and let it go. And, you know, truly, I do believe that trip, it allowed me to let go of that stuff yeah. in the past. And yeah, you, you have a fascination. And healing. You have a fascination uh, with what one calls the human condition uh, because you yourself have experienced it at different levels. And, and you kind of decided, whether consciously or unconsciously, I don't know, to leave certain stuff out on the river, almost for the water to bring it away. Is that how you set out or is that just how it happened? That's how it happened, I think. You know, I I didn't really, I'd had the dream of the river and the voyage and it was probably on our first break, uh, we we stopped at a bend where I used to actually fish as a young boy and I said it to Peter, I said, I'm going to let go of this stuff. And um, I suppose that's the nature of catharsis. It, it happens when you least expect it. Um, and uh, I think that in letting it go, I 
I did a, a big bit of soul work for myself, you know, and um, people, people, people are afraid to use the word souls these days, but you know, we all have one and uh, they're, as I say in the book, they're, they're not perfect. They're earth, they're earthy things covered in wounds and winds and losses. And uh, they're in short, they're whole, you know, they're real. And yeah. uh, I think for me, letting go of that stuff was, was, was a bit of soul work. Yeah. Well, what attracted me to, Pick the book up and, and read it was actually um, the words of Michael Harding, uh, who, who was full of oh, praise yeah. for it. Because I've had Michael Harding on the program a few times, and he's a man you could listen to all day long, musing about the intricacies of life. And I was going to pick a passage and read it, but as you can see, I'm in no condition to do so. But but, no. but it's the <laughs> it's it's a tri- it's a trilogy. It's part of a trilogy, a trilogy you never set out to write, really. No. Oh no, I've wrote three memoirs about my life and the stream of everything is the last one and I suppose it was a way to make sense of what had happened uh, in the ten years before and uh, you know, I had set out to write other books and things but these seemed to be, I suppose an important process to allow me to to kind of deal with everything that had happened, all the loss and, and, and the wins and, and everything else yeah. and uh, so it's it's formed this book that has centered around my life in Longford since I came back from from living in Australia and Canada, and um, you know uh, Longford's a small place, but it's been it's it's got three books uh, yeah. all about it now, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a lovely thing to to have, you know. Yeah, yeah. And is there something in it too, John, about coming home to the place where one is from and using that return to to if you want mend some of the damage from like you said a failed marriage or a broken friendship or mental health issues like is home the place where one does one's mending well in my case it was you know everyone has their own special place and it might not be at home it might be some other place where they've made their home but for me coming back was you know it was a return to, I'm a farmer, it was a return to the land. It was, um, you know, and it, it, the goodness started to come. I remember it very well. I was delivering lambs uh, on the farm and uh, these little lambs, all they wanted to do was be a lamb and they were fighting to get into the world. And I remember thinking that there was a lot of goodness uh, in that act and it made me think about happy things in my life and sort of made me realize that you ha- that your your happiness is your own job. You can't wait for someone else to do that for you. And so coming back was gave me the time away from all that stuff and allowed me to to get centered into myself. Mm. And I suppose, you know, coming back was probably the best move I've ever made, you know. Uh, I I had I had lived an extraordinary life. I'd been a journalist and a filmmaker and a producer and done lots of stuff overseas, but coming back was um, was finally taken up the mantle of actually having a relationship with yourself. And uh, I'd never really done that before in Australia, Canada or America. And yeah. so it was a it was the return of a global citizen back to back to normal life and and uh, it's been probably one of the best uh, moves I've ever made. Yeah, well, you achieved something um, that a lot of writers don't, and that is that reading the book is like listening to you talk, which is, and, and that's lovely. Uh, and it's a very oh, relaxing very book to read, a very enjoyable book to read. And I know nothing about Longford, <laughs> nothing. 
<laughs> well, Cork is a long way from Longford. So, <laughs> so John, congratulations on it. Um, it's it's a lovely, it's a lovely, gentle read, but a very thought provoking one at the same time. Oh, thanks very much. And you know, just to say, I'm very thankful the book's in the bestsellers list. So I'm very thankful yes. to everybody around the country who's buying the book um, yeah. because it's it was a really um, it was a happy book to write, yeah. and I'm, I hope that it makes people feel happy when they read it. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does. As I said, I'm in no condition to do so, but there was one or two passages in it that I wanted to read that really made me smile. So that's an, an old hack like myself. If you're doing that, you're doing a good day's work. John Connell, thank you. <clears throat> the author of A Stream of Everything. Uh, it's a book about two fellas that go down a river on a canoe. But it's an awful lot more than that. It's actually quite a lovely, lovely book. And it's in good bookshops now. Oh, some of your comments, I'm just not able to get to them. So Fiona is going to do them for us after the news at 11, because there's been quite a number of them coming in this morning. I want to talk to Neve Dooley, though, the founder, the co-founder of a company called Bia Sol, which is doing something unusual. It is upcycling food. Now, Neve Dooley, what on earth is upcycling food? Good morning. <laughs> Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm uh, all right. Thanks for having me on. Um, upcycling, you've probably heard the term upcycling um, in regards to furniture or clothes. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially recycling, um, recycling food or food byproducts. So what we do is we collect brewer spent grain, so the byproduct of making craft beer, yeah. and we put it through our process and we end up with really healthy, great tasting uh, food products afterwards. What do you make? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, so our product we have in retail is called Super Milled Grains and it's a all natural fiber and flavor booster. So it's really high in fiber, has over 40% fiber and 20% protein, uh, prebiotic fibers, B vitamins and minerals. So right. it's it's a great little powerhouse and and what people are doing is adding it into onto their porridge in the morning or into their smoothies okay. or if they bake at home they can add it in there. Oh, like it's, so it's like an additive or something that comes in a, in a pot, is it? Yeah, we have it in a compostable bag and, and, a, and a recyclable box, yeah. So it'd sit on the shelf near, say, your flax seeds or, or your chaya seeds okay. um, in a supermarket. But essentially, those products are actually imported from uh, quite a distance away. So we're a nice Irish local product um, mm. doing something a bit different. And how's it working out for you? Yeah, yeah, things are going really well. Yeah, we're stocked in about 75 health food stores uh, across the country. Right. Um, so that's going really well, and we're launching a range of bacon mixes soon as well. Right. Yeah. And you're creating jobs out of this? How many people are working in it? Yeah, so it's myself and my brother um, full-time. We've one other full-time worker. We've a part-time person started, and we have two interns. So... Uh, we're growing. Yeah, yeah. And where where's the base? Is it all done locally? Yeah, so we're actually um, uh, located up in Tullamore. Okay. Uh, so we work with about five local breweries in the Midlands region. Right. I guess there's no shortage of raw materials with all those breweries. No, no, no. That no, it's great. Um, yeah. And what would I normally suppose. happen to that stuff, Neve, if you weren't using it? Yeah. So what normally happens, say. The larger breweries have long-standing contracts with animal uh, feed manufacturers, and the smaller breweries then they might have a local farmer coming to collect it. Right. 
Um, but they're, we kind of spotted a few of them had a few issues with maybe, say, a farmer not coming on time or forgetting to pick it up, and then the grain can actually spoil and go off. So gotcha. it would be really bad for the animals, make them really sick, and then okay. it, we, obviously we couldn't eat it either. So sometimes, very odd time, it, it can go end up going to landfill. So okay. we're working with the, with the smaller breweries for that. So whereabouts here in Cork might, might we see your products on the shelf? Maybe yeah. somewhere like Key Co-op yeah. or somewhere? Uh, we are in Here's Health. Oh, great. There are three, there are three shops. Um, we're in Bakestone in Fota Island. Excellent. And then we're in Loop de Loop in Castletown Bear and on Tuberine in Bandon. So, Excellent. All right. So we're in a few places in Cork, but All we right. want to get down over the summer. We're actually going to the Cork Summer Show. So um, if anyone's going, do come by your stand. Okay, excellent to talk to you and a great idea. Upcycling or recycling grain that was used to make beer. It's called Biasol is the company and that's Neve Dooley. Good luck with that. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I'm finishing up today in advance of the uh, Bank Holiday Weekend. Um, you'd be glad to be rid of this croaky nonsense for a few days. Fiona will take over tomorrow and Friday, but uh, I'm getting a bit worried about the, the weather forecast for the weekend. Uh, my ever-reliable dark sky is telling me that it's going to get showery, very showery at the weekend, although the ever-dependable Alan O'Reilly in Carla Weather is saying, look, showers, yes, but not very many of them and not very heavy and quite an amount of sunshine in between them. So it's kind of mixed bag, seems to be on the cards Heading into the uh, bank holiday weekend, Fiona, you're going to help me out here because I'm this. As you, this, this, oh, the vocal cords of mine are just a bit done. We got lots of comments in, and, and we want to get to what people are yes. contributing to the program. I see one there, someone on from from Spain, giving out to me about the military. <laughs> yeah, PJ, just following on from your conversation with Michael McGrath this morning, um, you were talking about the chaos at Dublin Airport and you were wondering why the military police can't be dragged into this. Um, and um, somebody, a listener in Spain, has been um, listening in and has emailed us to say, you were speaking with Michael McGrath about the problems at Dublin Airport, PJ. You always call for the military when there is a problem. Have a look at our constant the military can't be called out to the streets, says this listener. Um, also, Eric was in touch with regards to that conversation to say they should hand over the keys of Terminal 1 to Ryanair. It's a facility belonging to Cork. We should be able to compete and make use of it. Ryanair have said they would be willing to. It would take the pressure off Dublin and end any questions of whether Cork is economic. Also on that topic, genuine question. It is a semi-state company. My understanding of semi-state is that it means it can borrow money on the private market without a state guarantee. In all other ways, it is operated by the state to govern objectives. Why can he not make them do it, or do I misunderstand? They seem a bit reluctant to make people do anything. Come back to that one there. John O'Donnell was on about but that clip. Let's hear it again. That clip of Michal Martin 
He's just warning people that things are going to get worse before they get better after the sanctions on Russia. It is a watershed moment in terms of fossil fuels in general, which will make for fairly rocky territory over the next number of years in terms of pricing around fossil fuels. We cannot get away from that. Oh, yeah. Now, what was John saying? Yeah, John has been in touch to say Micheál Martin's latest outburst there has frightened the life out of people. And I see in the echo this morning Paddy O'Brien saying the elderly cannot make ends meet. He should be out there in Europe campaigning for an exemption as a neutral peripheral country. If people want to boycott Russian products, that's their affair. But I don't think we should be joining in with policies with very obvious military ramifications. Mm. And uh, that topic of inflation has got a lot of people texting us in this morning. Uh, One person says, I am a single person on an average wage working full-time also caring full-time for a person with special needs with no help from the HSE or the government as I am working I only have oil as heating and now I am wondering how I can afford to how I can afford it I have no choice as I have to keep my house heated for the person I am caring for what will they do for me nothing as usual and finally PJ Eugene has said how come the petrol stations could not drop their fuel prices until the stock was gone when the government dropped their tax but now with full tanks they're putting up prices no problem yeah. loads more comments have come in as well PJ and I'll get to them we'll later on this them. morning we'll yeah. come to them but I want to go to Alison Chambers who is walking promotion officer with the Cork Sports Partnership very successful recent Cork walking month and you want to keep the drive going I think uh, during the summer months Alison because let's face it I think a lot of people may have even have rediscovered walking and the pleasure of walking uh, during during lockdown so, so they really are getting into it now aren't they good morning Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, you're dead right. If there is one thing we've learned from the whole COVID-19 situation, it's, you know, the benefits of our social health, of our mental health and our physical health. And then, of course, walking is such, you know, uh, an easy way to do this. Um, Do you know that it's it's well worth driving on and keeping keeping people walking now for the rest of the year? Yeah. And there are many organized ways to do it. There are. Yeah, there's loads. Um, I mean, there's lots of walking groups um, uh, which uh, go on regular walks around the city and the county, um, both kind of community walking groups and then hill walking groups as well. Um, And there's lots of different information on that on our own website and the Get Ireland Walking website as well. So there is very lots of different ways to get involved. And we're also um, running our own programs as well. If you're kind of a little bit newer to the activity and you want to kind of start getting involved, um, you know, meet a few new people through the community walking program. Um, so, yeah, lots of different organized ways to go like, about it. For there's sure. different kinds of, of walking. I'm often saying I can't really go walking with Queen Bee because she goes off like someone like trying to catch up with Rob Heffern and, and me, I'm <laughs> strolling along, looking up into the trees, looking out over the water, totally different kind of walker. There's a walking yeah. group for everybody, though. There is. And, I mean, there are benefits to both types as well. So, you know, it's worth, um, you know, starting where you are and then kind of progressing as much as you wish, but also, you know, even just taking in the surroundings, like you're saying, I mean, that's very good for our social health, our mental health as well. Um, And then, you know, we can progress towards, um, you know, uh, improving our physical health through it as well. So there's loads of different ways, um, like you say, and, you know, it's for everyone. Mm. so yeah, um, you have really, a, really great activity. There are hill walking programs, active community walking, woodlands for health. Exactly. Where can I get all Correct. the details yeah. of these? 
Um, they're all pretty much on our website, um, PJ. So that's corksports.ie. And then if anyone did have any questions, they can also email me directly. Um, I'm at achambers um, at corksports.ie as well. And can you help someone set up? Can you help someone to set up a group if they want to? We can, yeah, absolutely. We'll give them a hand with that. Um, and Get Ireland Walking are very um, have a great website for that as well. So, um, yeah, we can certainly do that if anyone wants to kind of um, get their community um, up and running. Um, it's a great way to do that. And all well. the stuff runs through the year as well. Runs right through into September and maybe even into the winter. You have National yeah, Walking exactly. Day in September. Exactly, exactly. So our next our next big campaign is probably around that National Walking Day, National Walking Week, and um, the Walk 21 conference as well. So we're going to be running events and campaigns, including a Rebel Ramble series throughout the rest of the year. So there's going to be loads of opportunities. And again, it'll all be updated um, on the website and our kind of social media channels as well. Okay. And that um, website is again, finally, Alison? Corksports.ie, PJ. Corksports.ie. Thank you very much. That's Alison Chambers, Walking Promotions Officer with Cork Sports partnership and plenty of opportunities to get out for a walk. Yeah, but it's funny because when we go, if we go walking, myself and the Queen Bee, she's got off up the road uh, like someone chasing Olympic gold and, and loves that. And of course, the dogs love going up with her. Me, I'm wandering around, looking at the trees, watching birds. You know, totally different styles. But everyone's different, I guess. 0818 96 96 96. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Couple of texts in about your TikTok thing. All babies are born ugly, but blossom beautiful, says Lydia here. All right. You have a theory that all babies look like Christy Moore when they they're do. born. They, they look I like Christy it's... Moore in the middle of a song. It's yeah. <laughs> that is. Yeah. yeah. My two, anyway, both look like Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got photographic evidence to prove that. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24 7. 96 Tap, tap on the laptop. Tap, tap on the phone. Tap, send, tap, reply, always tap, tap, tappy, tip, tap, why not tap, try, a tap dance. That's more like it. Turn worry into well-being and your kitchen into a dance studio with a speaker and lights. Let play unwind your mind. IKEA, the wonderful everyday. If something's free, why would you turn it down? I mean, a free haircut from a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, no. Or a free sample of onion paste. Oh, <clears throat> well then, how about a free tour of your neighbour's new shed? Oh, sounds well. Mm. Okay, look, they were bad examples. But how about a free eye test and free glasses from the 69-euro range of Specsavers with your PRSI? Well, that sounds like something to smile about. Book an appointment or find out more at specsavers.ie uh, Hello, my name is Stephen and I'm a little teapot. Fairly typical. I'm short. I'm stout but I used to steam up when I saw a heating bill. Getting a home energy upgrade with increased grants from SEAI changed everything, and the hassle-free one-stop shop service was definitely my cup of tea. Search SEAI Home Energy Upgrades and discover a new world of comfort and savings. Supported by the Government of Ireland. 
Mart, the Mixed Ability Rugby World Cup is coming to Musgrave Park from June 5th to 10th with Cork's 96FM. Mixed Ability Sports gives people with and without disabilities the opportunity to play sports together on the one team. Feelings like this. Patrick spent his childhood standing on the sidelines with me watching both his brothers play rugby. I never thought I would see the day that he would line out on a rugby pitch against his brother Peter. Come and see what it's all about. It's family friendly and a must for all rugby fans. Tickets are free. Available at imartworldcup.org. Only with Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Cork's 96FM. Now, I've talked about this condition on the programme before. Uh, it's an interesting condition of the blood. It's surprisingly common and it's surprisingly easy to treat. And when you treat it, it benefits others. I speak of hemochromatosis and today is hemochromatosis day. Frank McHugh, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You have hemochromatosis. Remind us again what it is. Well, uh, hemochromatosis is an overload of, blo- of uh, iron in the blood. Uh, and just to give you, it, it's, it's genetically, um, it's transmitted from, if both parents have the gene, there's a good chance that the... Um, the child of that parent would have hemochromatosis. Mm. So um, what, how it affects people is, uh, just to give my own uh, um, history of it, yes. I was diagnosed in, in 1998 um, because of, of family um, testing, and I was found to have a very high level of iron in my blood. When I say a high iron level, your normal blood uh, irons would be between 100 and um, maybe 100, 300, say. In my case, it was just under 2,000. Wow. So uh, that necessitated uh, taking blood for 18 months, nearly every week, uh, to get it down. And and what would that do Uh, to you in terms of harm at those levels, Frank? At those levels, um, I had... Uh, damage to my liver at that stage. My liver was probably uh, half again as big as it should have been. Uh, you could actually feel it coming out through my, my abdomen. Crikey. And uh, there was some scarring, a lot of scarring. And at that time, they didn't know whether it would repair or not. But thanks be to God, the, the, uh, the liver is a very uh, robust organ and it did rec- recover. Yeah. Um, like the symptoms then that time and at all times are exhaustion now i was putting the exhaustion down to the fact that i was doing shift work yes uh but uh and not sleeping well but as it turned out i had i had um that was one of the symptoms and the second one was arthritis especially in my hands and um it it, you know you you if i shook your hand i'd wince even though i'm a, a strong person You'd you'd be able to put me down the ground with the with the strength of your because of the the the, um, the arthritis in the fingers. I see, I see, I see. And yeah. and the treatment then at that time was you and to get blood transfusion. Time, no, no, the opposite. Uh, the oh, the the treatment at that time and at this time is just drawing off of the blood, like oh, going really? to the blood bank. Okay. Like this morning at half past nine, I was at my doctor and he took off a pint of blood. Right. Uh, and and I'm on maintenance now, so every every six months at the moment I go just to take it off as a as a precaution. And how much would, would the, they take? About a pint. 
Right. The same as, as what you'd, nearly the same as what you'd give if you went to give a pint of blood. I see. And the blood that the doctor took from you this morning then, is that, is that blood that can be given to another person? No. Ah. Not, not, not when it's given to the, to the, not when it's taken by the, uh, the doctor. But if, for years we fought to have the blood um, transfusion uh, board take our blood, and it's only in the last two or three years that they've started taking it. So I could have gone to the blood transfusion board uh, to give my, my pint of blood, but it just didn't suit me today. I see, I see. And that blood then, if you were to give it as a blood transfusion board donation, that could be used for someone else? Yes. I see. It has no, no, no ill effects on anybody else. If anything, it's probably better because there's very high iron in it. And you're on maintenance, so I mean, how is your general health now? I mean, the, the liver damage—you say that repaired itself, yeah? Well, it don't, I have I have no problems with my liver. No, I have very, very good health, thanks be to God. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I, I can't complain about my health at all. So, how would somebody know um, if they had hemochromatosis? Obviously, if it was in the family. You definitely have to get tested. Yeah, yes, and this is where we need to get the way awareness out and about. Like there are there's about 20,000 people in, in Ireland at the moment have hemochromatosis or have been diagnosed with it. But there are, we figure, another 20,000 that haven't been. Mm-hmm. So wh- that's where, where this week now coming up is we're, we're uh, have awareness week and we're getting as much information out there as possible. Um, because of COVID, we couldn't have our normal um, um, seminars and, and information days. So we're only getting back to that now. Um, how would people know about it? Uh, pe- like the symptoms are very similar to a lot of other illnesses. But uh, the obvious one really is when you do a blood test and you're very high iron, mm. that's the signal. And we- the doctors today are a lot better than, they're a lot more well-informed. They were probably as good as ever, but the, the information wasn't there for even for the, the medical profession mm. up to uh, recent years. So now doctors, when you go, if you went in with chronic fatigue or if you have arthritis and joints or if you're, you know, um, different ailments, they, they would be aware and would test for hemochromatosis. When you think about it, Frank, if you go back into the ancient history of medicine and the practice known as bloodletting, were they, were they really treating hemochromatosis and didn't realize it at the time? I wonder. Very, 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 very possibly. That was exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of cases, you know, you had the the, the skin pigmentation, and and uh, uh, that was all to do with with um, high iron in their their systems. Yeah, yeah, they used to use leeches and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, they used to use all that. Times, yeah. back in ancient times. Yeah. All right, listen. But like in 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 relative terms, it's only it's only since ninety. Like my father died as a result of hemochromatosis. I see. In nineteen eighty nine. Uh, because he got pancreatic cancer. And just to emphasize to people, once you're diagnosed and once you go through the uh, venous section or removal of the blood and diluting of the iron in the system, your, your life is, 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 is normal. The problem is late diagnosis. So that's what we're trying to get out there these days is early diagnosis. Even if you never have to do anything, just be aware that you may have it or that you have it and you would be treated for it at an early stage. And is there a link, Frank? All the problems. Sorry to hear Hmm? about your dad. Is is, is there a link between hemochromatosis and 
pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most feared ones. Yes, there is a very direct link because the liver the liver stores the the iron and then it spreads the, the when it can't when the liver can't function it uh, affects your pancreas and I then see. you're it's a it's a vicious circle. I see. Heart, liver, lungs and kidneys are all are all the problem with it. I see, and that's that's one of the most and we talk about it every year on Radiothon, it's one of the still one of the most dread, dreaded of all the cancers. Pan- oh, pancreatic. It's horrible. Right. A horrible, a horrible death. All right. Frank Disson, I wish you well and continued good health in your uh, hemochromatosis management. If you're feeling a bit off, feeling a bit iffy, if it might be anywhere in your family, get tested for it. They can treat it, you can manage it, and uh, that's an awful... I, that, I, I didn't know that. That's talked about hemochromatosis many times before. Didn't know that, that there was a direct connection between untreated or unmanaged hemochromatosis and, and uh, pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most dreadful ones of them all. 0818-969696. There's a book on gardening throughout the year. <clears throat> and we're talking about the rewilding thing. We're going to talk about whether or not it's time now. After the end of No More May. Actually, I'm in this. I'm talking to Dermot Gavin uh, in just a couple of minutes about the new book that he's involved in about gardening through the year. But uh, now that No More May is over and we're into June, are you going to cut your grass? If you let one of other other of your patches of grass grow during no more May, are you going to cut it? Um, I know some people are just can't wait to get the lawnmower out and just cut away all them flipping weeds. What are you going to do? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Fiona, help me out here. With loads of people. I'll, I'll get there. It's only forty minutes left, and I'm done for Tuesday. <laughs> there is comments coming in, uh, PJ, from people uh, saying for you to go home and rest your voice. So. <laughs> I will. Don't worry. Um, and people have obviously been in touch with us about other issues as well. Uh, just with regards to the price of petrol, um, a lady just called there, and she said she's in Douglas at the minute, and she's after putting petrol into her car and it is €2.03. Now we know that diesel had already gone over the €2 mark but it seems now that petrol is also going over the €2 mark in many many places today and she says it's ridiculous, I need to do a lot of driving for work and I'm not sure if I'll be able to keep going at this rate. Um, Eugene has been in touch, PJ, is the price of fuel stopping or curtailing many people pursuing their hobbies? So if it is people, you could also let us know 083 What's the number again, PJ? 083 2007, I paid yesterday for petrol. 207, okay. Yes, and we have had people getting in touch with us as well um, over the last two days with different pictures of uh, various different forecourts around the county. And Kevin, who was on with you yesterday, um, has been in touch, and the petrol is almost 206, where he is in Newmarket today. Yeah. Um, Other comments that have come in with regards to inflation um, what do they consider middle income? Someone wants to know. Which is a very valid uh, question. Um, Kevin says, you cannot wait until an October budget. By October, kids will be going back to school. Heating oil will be doubled. Petrol through the roof. This cannot wait for five months. Um, Antoinette wanted to know, what is Michael McGrath going to do for carers who are still left at the bottom of the ladder? The government said the PUP payment is a living wage, but people on social welfare are on a lot less. Some carers get nothing. And um, PJ, when you were speaking to Michael McGrath, we were obviously 
obviously talking about the COVID bonus yes. payment that we've been covering here on the Opinion Line over the last few weeks. Um, and somebody has been in touch to say the Mercy Hospital monthly paid staff received it yesterday. Somebody else said this just indicates the complete disdain the government have for anyone working in a hospital from nurses to cleaners to anyone. Are you honestly telling me this would happen to judges? Um, Someone else was been in touch to say the money was literally worth a lot more in January than it is now. Supposing you had that money put aside for a heating oil fill, you wouldn't get a fraction now. It should be increased now that they would show how they... That would show that they are sorry. Um, and finally, somebody else was in touch to say, has a government minister ever experienced a delay in their pay increase? Yeah. Our, our friend Kieran Delaney was on last night and he asked me to mention this, mm. <clears throat> that um, priority seats on Irish Rail are for passengers that need them. Uh, they're not an extension of the office uh, or and wheelchair spaces are not for luggage. Um, would people... Who would do that? Would they park in disabled parking space? And Kieran is an advocate for Kieran's an advocate for using the wheelchair spaces mm. for what they're meant for. Wheelchairs, not not suitcases, which is he wanted us to mention that. Now that wonderful, wonderful Harvey Norman. Uh, Garden Festival is up again. You got details? Yes, Corks 96 FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. Thanks, Faith. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. PJ, cool boiled water, slice of lemon, teaspoon of honey, teaspoon of diced ginger from Aldi will sort out the throat. Uh, you know what? I'll sort it out. No, be resting it for a day or two, but thank you very much. And uh, John says, PJ, people have been cutting grass since the start of May. That's the point to bring in Paul Smith and Dermot Gavin, who between them have brought out Gardening Together, which is basically a trip through the year, the gardening priorities month to month throughout the year. Uh, Paul and Dermot both join me. Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? Hi, good to talk. Remind us, uh, Dermot, where where you guys met, how you guys met and started working together. We met three or four years ago. Paul was running a nursery in Wales, a rare specialist uh, plant nursery, and he was a plant hunter. He'd go off on these trips to Vietnam and find uh, unusual stuff. And I was about to open a shop just outside London that was for unusual plants, but also coffee and a tattoo parlour. So Paul (laughs) agreed to come and run it for me. Tattoos. (laughs) It's what all the kids are into. Do you have a tattoo? I don't, no. I'm not a kid. But but, but I would have thought a garden gardening shop and a tattoo. Listen, hey, listen, if if it draws them in and keeps them there. And Paul, what would you go to Vietnam for? Uh, we'd go and we'd collect uh, plants over there. We were working with the university and we were working actually with Blarney Castle down in Cork and they have a conservation program where they were collecting material from Vietnam, bringing it back and growing it in Blarney. So actually, if you go down to Blarney Castle, a lot of it's grown there in the woods. So we were just working on this conservation program and yeah, it was kind of cool to go up to the jungle for a few days and hide from the world. So how did the idea come to do a book together? 
During lockdown, we started broadcasting, actually pretty much from the first day of, of, of lockdown. We heard Leo Varadkar, uh, we saw him on the, on the news. The weather was fantastic. We pressed my Instagram live uh, kind of uh, uh, button and every evening for a year and a half uh, at seven o'clock, we would answer people's questions. We'd play terribly cheesy music. Uh, and we organized a festival down in Balanskelligs last September. And people came from all around the world. So the next step on that, we, actually, we did a lockdown television series from, from My Garden to uh, based on it. And uh, now the book comes out. Uh, we're very different, but as gardeners, we're very, very similar. Mm. So we have different takes on things and uh, we're both slightly anarchic in our own ways and that comes into our take on gardening. Do you argue about it? Oh, yeah. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Well, no, we have, as Dermot says, certain things we agree on without a doubt. The whole no more mating, which we were chatting about before we came on. Uh, you know, gardening with nature and not using chemicals, all of that, we are very much in favour of. But when it comes to design and when it comes to how things should work in a garden, we don't always agree, but we do for the most part. PJ, I walked into a garden where he was laying out the plants yesterday in Newry and he had about 20 hydrangeas that would embarrass your granny. Uh, And he thought these were the coolest thing in the midst of some (laughs) fairly glorious planting. So I told him to... Everybody. Uh, <laughs> Hydrangeas are probably the favourite plant. Over the last couple of years of the broadcast, and even in the book, we dedicated they're a lovely. section to hydrangeas. Jim, they're lovely. They're lovely. Oh, I love, I love hydrangeas. Don't get me wrong. It's the colour that he picked. What uh, colour was it? As a, well, kind of a mottled lavender uh, kind of colour. Just appalling, BJ. Appalling. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, lavender would work because my 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 missus loves purples and blues, and our gardens are full of our gardens full of purples uh, every every springtime and every summer. So <clears throat> you may come back to the the no mow may thing and the whole rewilding we saw there, where the the one that the the garden that won the the Chelsea Flower Show had been rewilded. Some people say that it's just a lazy gardener's license to do nothing and and just let weeds grow. Uh, so you get butterflies and, and insects and stuff like that. Does I mean, what's attractive about something that's been let go to to rack and ruin and is full of buttercups and dandelions and thistles and there's nothing attractive it's, about that, surely. It's an odd it's an odd way of looking at it, PJ, because you say let go and I would say let grow. So we have we want to tame everything. And now we've got to the fact that we tame, you know, over the past hundred years, especially, we tame nature to such a degree that everything has to be neat and tidy. And it's like doing uh, housework and we have to be in control of everything. Those weeds that you mentioned there, things like thistles, dandelions, daisies, they're the plants that produce the most pollen in a, in, in a lawn. So they're the only beneficial plants for the environment in a lawn or for the pollinators uh, anyway. And yet we chop their heads off before they get a chance to do, uh, to create value. We're in real trouble with the way we treat the earth. Uh, We're in real trouble in terms of food production. If we don't have pollinators, we won't have food. Can we not grow plants in beds and pots that will do the same thing? We can we can, but the problem we've done there is we've begun to value 
the color and the size and the amount of blossom rather than the simple productive open flower that is attractive to the insects and allows the birds, therefore, and the bees and the hedgehogs, that whole ecosystem in our garden. So it's like everything else. It's a balance. It's this idea of stopping using the pesticides, stopping using the the, the weed killers, and education, just Mm. letting people know what's happening if the grass is a little bit messy. I'd be with you on the pesticides, and Paul, I'm sure, I'd be with with you on the pesticides, I'd be with you on the weed killers, but I do like... And my our back garden, the credit has to go to the queen bee here. There's pots and boxes and little trenches and little beds, and she has it looking fantastic. But I love that then set off by a well-tended lawn. Am I old-fashioned? Well, look, there's, uh, there's, it's like Dermot said, there's a balance. Uh, your garden is like that, but maybe a couple of doors up, your neighbour may not be as prim and proper. Everyone has their own style of gardening and what they love to do. My style of gardening is a cottage garden where the whole thing is echo wild and it's a bit you know, rough around the edges. Dermot loves big, dramatic foliage plants. And yeah. like my garden, he doesn't always you know, maintain parts of it. So it all depends on what your own individual style is. And we're not saying... You know, we appreciate a beautiful lawn. A beautiful lawn, when it's done properly, is really a thing of beauty. But it's, you know, finding maybe someone else can do it up the road. Or maybe if you have a bigger garden that you don't need to do all of the maintenance in all of the areas, you can let part of it go. It's just about finding where it works for you. And the councils are doing a great job at it too. If you go around and see how they're Absolutely. leaving wildflowers and all that, that's really yeah. helping. And they're also letting whole you know, chunks of banks. They're just cutting the essentials at the edge, which you'll notice, and they're letting the banks grow inside. The book focuses yeah. on times of year and what's important. So here we are coming into the June weekend, weather hopefully on the turn, going to let get a little bit, little bit warmer. So what, what should we be doing in the garden to be both uh, ecologically aware, as it were, and be, you know, get the most out of the time of year. Paul, you go for it. There's a few things. Uh, Weeding is kind of always a job that has to be done. And again, it depends on your approach to gardening, but our approach to weeding is if you have weeds, everyone's going to have them in their garden. They're a fact of life. But if you have a few, don't let them get too big where they go to seed because once a weed seeds, then all of those seedlings will go around. There's this old saying of one year seeding is seven years weeding. So if you do have a garden that's a little bit messy, just go around, pull the biggest of the weeds. Uh, that's always something that has to be done. It's a time to put out our containers. So all of those lovely hanging baskets and window boxes, all of those things are now available in the garden centres. The frost fear has gone. We are no more frost. We're now in the first day of June. So you can get all of those plants that are tender, put them out and really start arranging the garden for summer yeah. and enjoy it. Do you know what happened, lads, sometimes too? I think trees, dear, but maybe you talked about this. Trees are strange things. We have two or three trees in, in our garden, and one in particular we thought was dead. Um, and we were, right. we were fully convinced it was dead. And then maybe about six or seven weeks ago, it started to sprout a couple of little buds down one side of it. And next thing we know, it is putting out these, they're like, they're like catkins, you know, the little furry things. Oh, They're like catkins. Wonderful. And we have never yeah, seen, we're in the house, we're in the house nearly 20 years. We've never seen these before on that tree. And someone told me it's a cherry laurel. It has never, ever flourished before. There's another one in the other side of the garden, which we call the fairy tree. The thing has been trying to die for nearly a decade and it's come back <laughs> yet again. What is going on with the trees? Uh, I don't know. Trees, our climate is changing. And uh, certainly at times and in places, 
there are arteries under stress because especially relatively fairly recent ones planted in the last few years because sometimes they just don't get enough water. Cherry laurel is an evergreen. It's a common name for uh, a type of prunus laurisuracis. So it's an evergreen shrub and they do flower about a month ago white fluffy flowers yeah. not sure about the catkins uh, that's what they look like they look yeah. like they look like catkins yeah. they're, they're a yeah. bit bigger and, uh, and okay yeah but an inch long yeah yeah. Uh, but trees are the most incredible thing to have in your garden, especially native trees, if you can plant native trees, because they sustain all the other life forms. My my garden isn't huge. I suppose it would even be a third of an acre, Paul, I don't know. But I have about 70 trees in it, and I let the <laughs> trees do the work, and the trees create the habitat. And I've taken away all the lawns, so yeah. in time we'll just be looking at different canopies of, of trees. Yeah, I well, absolutely love them. Well, Paul, there you go. There's two trees that have given themselves another lease of life in our garden you know so they really keep coming they keep coming back yeah they are they're resilient you know trees have been around trees can be thousands of years old yew tree is probably the oldest lived native tree that we have here they use it as a hedge uh, you often see it in old graveyards it was said to keep cattle out uh, you know trees can live for a huge amount of time and although a tree looks like it's on the way out it still could be there for years and years and Ash trees at the moment, they're suffering a bit because we've got this ash dieback disease. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to just have to wait and see what happens there. And in time, we will, you know, some of the ash trees will die, but there'll be ones that are resistant. And yeah, they're remarkable what they yeah. can do. And with when the trees are healthy, the boards are in. And it's, it's lovely to look out the back garden at the moment. Listen, Paul Smith and Dermot Gavin, thank you both. The co-authors of Gardening Together. And I think all the videos are still up there as well from their lockdown times. The book is in all the good bookshops and it goes through the year. So what you should be doing in the garden. I put that picture of what we think, still think, is a cherry laurel up on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. And this damn thing was dead. Like, it was gone. We were thinking again. It got down. And all of a sudden, bing, bing, out they come. And they're lovely. And we're birds. We're like flipping photo with birds. By the way, I'm good at going rest these vocal cords. Valencia Coast Guard. There's been an email sent around from the Department of Transport to say Valencia Coast Guard is coordinating assistance to a fishing vessel, vessel which is reported to be in difficulty about 60 miles southwest of Mizzen Head. vessel has a crew of 11. It's reported to be taking on water and has lost its propulsion. The Coast Guard helicopter R115 is on the scene. R116 standing by at Cork Airport. The naval ship Samuel Beckett and an Air Corps are proceeding to the scene. Weather conditions are favourable. Another fishing vessel also on the scene preparing to assist. So that looks like something dramatic, but hopefully the assistants will get there and all on board will be okay. And they'll bring them home from the sea, as the song says. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Dr. Danielle O'Donovan is with me from the Nano Nagel Centre. She's their programme manager. You're looking for people, Danielle, who went to the presentation schools because you're doing a big project on the presentation schools. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. You sound like you have a dose there. I'll, I'll talk so you can rest your vocal cords. Thanks. Cord. I'll be grand. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so we, yeah, so you might remember that, that last year we celebrated 250 years of convent life and, and the schools at South Prez. And we're working out in concentric circles. So this year we want to celebrate Presentation Cork. So that's taking in all of the schools in the city and the county as well. So the ones in Bandon and Crosshaven, Mitchell down from Moy, all those different, so they're, they're right spread all over um, the county. And we want to tell the story of those schools, of, of the convents next to them and the schools themselves. Uh, and one of the things we want to do that, the, the ways we want to do that is, is via kind of pupils' stories and photographs and, and objects that they might have saved from school, whether it's a battered copybook or, or their old school blazer or their penny or something. We'd love to include those things in the exhibition this year. So we'd like to invite students to come in this Saturday between one and four and kind of share them with those, those and share their stories. It's the kind of lovely memorabilia that's lying around attics and sheds and just people <laughs> kept it because they were sentimental about it, but now they can put it into a museum. Exactly. I mean, if people had things that they would they would like to donate to the museum, we'd be delighted because, you know, there's so many things that we we don't have. It's kind of the stuff of life, but we never kind of held on to it. So we were last year we had a couple of South Prez school blazers and the the little kind of um, emblem that went on the the jumper. But you know how amazing to to get a blazer from Ballyfihan or one of those schools. So if someone has one in the attic, and I do think it certainly isn't it. It's exactly those things that are um, uh, that are kind of in the back of the wardrobe. So we're we're hoping that people will go hoking and see if they can find them for us because they were kept. I mean. I remember I went to I went to Prez uh, as a small boy, and then I moved on to Christy, which of course which was Presentation Brothers. <clears throat> but I remember my my Holy Communion. They we had these purple blazers. You could see them from space. But I, <laughs> I, I'm sure th- I, I, I'm sure they must. Be, I mean, when you get the, p- the picture out, of, God Almighty, what did they put us into that for? But <laughs> but but for you, I mean, there there'd be an amazing thing now to find one somewhere, wouldn't they? We would love one. We'd absolutely love one. And, you know, um, we're looking for photographs as well. And one of the things that really always gives me a, a little pang is seeing all those beautiful communion pictures and confirmation pictures outside the school because it was a huge part of school life to yeah. prepare for those sacraments. And, and they were a big deal, you know, yeah. and um, and they still are, obviously. But um, to see those fantastic pictures... I think um, I might have actually a picture. <clears throat> I might actually have a well, picture of that's it. in that purple. And they, 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 they <laughs> teamed it up with white trousers i mean we were eight <laughs> like they, they put children into white trousers <laughs> <laughs> i know you would be having to mind those all day uh, <laughs> and all the sweets and everything not get stuck to them well um so that's that's the kind of thing those exact memories are what Fantastic. we're looking for and we're going to spend the whole year at it so we're going to invite schools to kind of write their own history and we're going to have kind of rolling exhibitions over over the winter next year. But our summer, so we'll start in the summer with a kind of um, an exhibition that just captures kind of the the schools and the convents. And as, we've got some fantastical photographs, you know, of the right. classrooms. I love those. But we know with hundreds of children in them stacked, they were stacked up That's in the ceiling, you know. Forty-four and, um, in my class in fourth year, fourth class, like. Well, P- PJ, there's a, there's an account from South Press, and there were five hundred children in the infant classroom, and you just think. 
how how <laughs> could you do it you know it was a different time I suppose there were monitors and things you know but um but yeah we want to kind of capture some of that history but of course the pupils themselves and their memories and their photographs and all of those things are so they're they're you know some one of the most important parts of the story so if you have a story to tell or a great photograph or you do have something in the back of the wardrobe if we do we're doing a crowdsourcing this Saturday from one to four but but get in contact um with us um, through our email address if you have anything and you can drop in any time over the next few weeks and the other thing to say is we've a busy weekend we've markets this weekend um, up in our gorgeous plaza space and the harbour festival we've got the Mulgoggers sea shanty group singing in the chapel on Saturday right. at half four so if you come in for that crowdsourcing you can join the rest of the, the fun of the weekend Fantastic Alright Danielle uh, thanks for that we'll talk again about it because there's, there's a lot of wonderful school memorabilia out there that's Danielle Donovan Nanonagel programme manager uh, right, do we have a, a winner on Riverdance before I go? We'll get one there in just a second. Uh, I'm not here tomorrow or Friday. Uh, I wasn't going to be anyway. I'm not exactly crying off sick midweek. You know what I've been doing with me long weekends? I make them longer. So Fiona is in tomorrow and Friday. Uh, be nice, you lot. Um, and I will see you on Tuesday. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.